Welcome. This is the Down the Rabbit Hole podcast, your regular dose of information security through the tempered lens of the real world experience. Now, on with the show. Hey everybody, today I am with somebody I met here at the Cloud Security Alliance Congress that I've uh, never actually met before, but we got introduced through a friend. He works at a major financial institution, so I'll let him introduce himself as he feels fit. We started talking about software security, and I heard him tell us a story about how they implement security red teaming in a way I've never heard it done before. Uh, So I thought I'd let him come on the show, tell us a little bit about it, because maybe you can learn from it a little bit. Mystery guest, introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. I'm Nathaniel Dean. We'll let the financial institution remain unnamed. They're sensitive about those kinds of things. I can imagine. I work with a rather large uh, software development shop uh, doing what I like to term security program management. Basically, what that means is I haven't gotten my hands dirty for quite a few years. We won't hold that against you. (laughs) Lots of other guys uh, and gals a lot smarter than I I am get their hands dirty with this stuff every day. Security, we were talking about red teams and mm-hmm. solving some of the major challenges of, um, of software security from a program perspective, from a uh, doing something new perspective. And, and you told me about this red team you guys have, but it's not the traditional red, because when I think of red team, and as I think of most of my listeners think of red team, we think of the smash and grab, the break in and take over uh, red team. What does your yeah. group do? So... There are, uh, there are multiple product lines that are worked on by this development group. And one, one development group uh, had a product focus that led them down a path a little bit more interesting. They were trying to see how they could most efficiently respond to defects that were identified in their, in their life cycle. Okay. Now, dealing with a, a reasonable amount of churn in their development staff kept them from always having the right level of maturity. So let me ask, uh, development done onshore, offshore, in-house, on the moon? Yes. <laughs> Typical <laughs> that. Everywhere, right? Yes. Anywhere and everywhere, get it done. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. And in finding a better way to respond to, uh, to the defects that were identified, um, both from you know, functional testing and from security-specific testing. Okay. The, uh, the director of that group, uh, in working with the technical security officer, put together what they use today, which is a, I guess we can call it a red team. It's a team of developers who focus on defect remediation. So let me just wrap my head around that for a second. You have an entire group inside that doesn't belong to software, that does not belong to information security. Correct. So they, there's a team of developers that fo- it's their sole purpose is to focus on remediating security defects. Remediating not only security or, sorry, defects, defects. Yeah, defects as a whole. And we're the one thing that we're trying to really drive into the life cycle is to get it from being viewed as just the SDLC to the secure SDLC. So this this fits in well with that in that this development team that's responsible for defect remediation 
takes on both non-security specific and security specific defects. But you have this group of guys and gals who have a, a better level of maturity than others within their team, uh, others within their development group, let me say, and they have uh, a history of repairing what they see come up on their functional and security testing. So, so I got to ask, how's that working? In dealing with everything that comes out of their their development life cycle, I think I think it's worked rather well. I would have to look at it and say that more of the security issues uh, that have arisen uh, over time that have been more prominent have not been from newly developed code. Okay, so it's re- re- rinse and repeat kind of old stuff. Yeah, it's going back and finding something and saying, how did that get there? Oh. That's been there long enough that we missed that piece. That that piece of functionality, for some reason, hasn't been exercised in a security or functional test to make it boil up. So, I think they've actually been doing a pretty good job. Now, that's that that comes both from the management perception, or that's gauged both by the management perception, and it's gauged to some to some extent by the metrics that we put against it. Okay. So, I, I immediately a couple of questions spring to my mind. How do these folks get their knowledge, right? Because it, it, okay, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to marginalize fixing and remediating quality, just general quality defects, but security can be a little challenging in its own, right? Mm-hmm. Did, did they get educated differently? Did they go through a curriculum? Did they, are they certified somehow? Where do they get, do you know where they get the knowledge from? Well, there is, there is required security training. Okay, um, company-wide. Company-wide. Okay. Uh, so whether you happen to be on this team or not, you're still required to go through a pretty decent battery of test training and testing. Okay. Now, I think we're, we're in the process of trying to make that something that is um, a little bit more intense, uh, just from the standpoint that we have some folks that have retained that knowledge well and others who, who need to be refreshed. Okay. That so. makes sense. How did, you, how did they build that team initially? Was it just grab a group of folks that just got it better than everybody else and said, hey, why don't you guys just work on fixing stuff? I don't know the entire history of, of how that, what the selection process was. Fair enough. Uh, but knowing, knowing the other security officers that were involved, I think they probably had good input to that. Good input, yeah. That's got to be interesting. So, I, I, you know, more questions, I guess. Now that we know how, they're, uh, how they kind of got their knowledge and their, you know, the fact that they were trained better because you have an internal program, an educational program, which is a very good thing to know. Who funds this? Who, uh, so who funds it? I mean, a, pro, a project goes through, mm-hmm. fails security review, because they all do, right. uh, initially anyway, right? The intent is that they get better over time. But this, uh, a bunch of defects get identified, and does the money for the you know remediation red team, as I've called it on the episode, come from the project budget, or is there like a slush fund for fixing things? Well, defect remediation is part of the project budget. budget. Okay. Um, now there's there's another portion of this. And you'll have defect remediation coming out of what we would refer to as a, a cyclical compliance type test. Okay. And you know for the most part we shouldn't be finding a large number of new defects out of a compliance test. Sure. But it happens. But whether it's specifically project related or if it's simply product related. Okay. Um, so they get like message. So they would be the ones to fix a bug that somebody reports through your website in a consumer-based piece of software as well. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's interesting. I, I, the concept of funding it was always a thorny one. Um, whenever we thought about 
when I worked on security programs because how do you figure out who goes and pays for the issues that everybody sort of is uh, everybody wants to fix right nobody says no I don't want that fix I want it buggy yeah. Yeah. but then you got to figure out who's going to pay for it which is right. always the challenge I, I think the, the program uh, as a whole is, is mature enough that the business has accepted needing to do this remediation right uh, it's it's not presented to them as an option okay so it's it's you will there's no there's no want to here yep. <laughs> this yes. is something they do whether they they desire it or not they just you know they want it they just don't know it yet right yes yes, yes. okay that makes sense and interestingly enough there's there's even a an expanded effort um, to focus on not only what we would you know, think of as the as the higher risk uh, defects okay um, but there's an interesting effort spinning up around folks wanting to evaluate those that are deemed lower risk uh, as they they've recognized they may have a lower security risk right but if we stack up enough of them then uh, our exposure it needs to be our exposure there needs to be assessed and understood that a lot of things that are considered low risk still could add up to opportunities yeah that that's the thing I think we when we threat model uh, which is another topic altogether for a different day but when we threat model I think oftentimes we sort of miss I've seen people's tendency to miss these three things that when that are considered low on the totem pole of you know how critical individually when you stack them together they can create a pretty big you know a chain them together rather they can create a pretty big issue and so I, I think there's a lot of tendency to miss that when you're so focused on what are the high impact issues high impact issues have you had a lot of uh, I guess outside have you have you done moved this past the team that simply uh, is working in this one product specific group have you thought about is this something that's going to be company-wide it's it has recently spread beyond the initial product that it was focused on okay so it is expanding that is pretty cool uh, you know I, I you know how do I if I'm a developer though gosh I'm thinking about how this operationally functions and I'm thinking about one of the main challenges to making any kind of good fix, you know, step one is understanding the code that you're going to that you're going to be fixing, right? And if I'm getting all kinds of, because presumably you guys are a Java.net and everything else kind of shop like everybody else. Yep, the usual. The usual. Uh, so you've got a team of developers that's got to know Java, it's got to know .NET, it's got to know all the frameworks you guys develop in, it's got to kind of understand all these different coding styles. That blows my that just blows my mind that that there's you guys have a group that does that, but it's, it works. It it works and and there's a whole group of technical security advisors. All right. Okay. So these these developers aren't completely, you know, on an island by themselves with no advice uh, from the security community. Okay. Uh, so they they do get guidance and and there's a relationship that's come up over time. Um, where the developers have learned to trust the input from the uh, the security folks, and obviously it's not the business security team coming to them and telling them how to write the code. Uh, they know which of the technical security folks have the ability and the wherewithal to to advise and direct them. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So what is you just mentioned briefly that there's a there's a relationship. What is the nature of the relationship between the information security team and your software development lifecycle? How does the, how does the 
You know, where is secure? Where is security visible in your software development lifecycle? For the longest time, uh, I think we we dealt with, and and to some extent still today are dealing with the bolt-on uh, mindset. As um, we all are. Yeah, it's security testing uh, fits in somewhere, uh, and usually it's you know as late as possible to let us meet that uh, that target release date. That mindset is slowly being shifted, uh, and it's because there's an effort coming down from uh, regulatory and uh, you know audit influence, um, looking at the quality uh, of software specific to security defects, okay. saying we want to see this improve, uh, and the security community responding and saying, okay, let's move away from the bolt-on mentality and get security integrated earlier in the life cycle. So pushing it back from not just at design, getting back to initiate, define, um, where you've got at least a security advisor looking at this, this project or this change that's going to take place uh, and making an earlier determination about what security does need to be baked in. And then to go along with that, I think then this is the key that we're evangelizing and getting a good reception for is just like any other other requirement that you get baked in if you don't validate it what good is it oh, very true so very as true. we're getting security requirements baked in then the folks who are pushing those requirements in we're requiring to also say here's why here's why and here is how you can validate I this see. when it comes time to test okay so you know it's kind of ironic that you that you're gone in this direction because I just gave a talk to um, a group in Chicago as a quality assurance team and their interest and it seems like more and more quality folks are getting more in the mindset of I believe that there are security requirements and I'll even go a step farther and say security provides security requirements and we implement them but then it comes to QA and somebody's got to validate that they're there how do you figure out that they're there right how do you this is what you just touched on how do you get that validation that the requirement is there. I mean, things like, you know, password length, I can validate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we often come up with these really terrible security requirements. Don't have cross-site scripting. Well, okay, great. There, there's a way to validate that, but to a point, based on what we know today, yeah. it's a moving target, right? So I think one of the keys, would you say that it has to be requirements that are convertible from thou shalt to this is how you test? Major, major issue there? Major definitely, big key? Yes, definitely how you test. Uh, and that's, that's forced those that are in the technical security area to really stop and think about what they're saying they, they want to see. There's a, there's, a, there's a knowledge base within the corporation of security requirements. Right. And that knowledge base needs to expand. But to go along with that, if this is the security requirement, how do I code to meet that requirement? And then how do I how do I validate the coding's been done properly? Those are the pieces that the security I want to say the security team in general has to step up and and help the developers understand. Right. Okay. And so that sounds like a very interesting relationship between security. I mean, it's really doing what we've a lot of us have talked about in this. The whole concept. What threw me off is when you mentioned this red team that comes in. All they do is fix bugs. You know, the first thing I thought of was, how do you get people to, one, that understand all this different stuff? It sounds like you've, got, you've figured that out. 
And then, how do you get them to stay? Because that's got to be, that can potentially turn into some mind-numbing work. There's, yeah, and there's even, uh, there's an ongoing review of um, what kind of churn there is from an HR perspective. That's that's something that is always, I, wanna, I don't want to say it's always a concern. Sure. But when you're on the security program management side, and you look at code quality in general, look at security defects, uh, and their their volume. You obviously have that just you know thought bouncing around in the back of your head that says, if I'm continuing to have the same volume and the same density of security defects, something's wrong here. Yeah, is it because these folks weren't trained, or is it because there's a little bit too much churn, and you know the, the maturity level is not increasing? So you're mentioning measuring their performance of the security program, and I know we, I know we talked about that in the hall a little bit. Uh, it seems like we we sort of agree that measuring the success or failure of a software security initiative and more importantly a long-term program has to go beyond how many bugs are we finding and how critical yeah. are they yeah. how many are we finding how critical are they and and how do they stack up against non-security specific defects i like that so we're we're going and equating defects just to defects rather than being security specific I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so glad somebody else is saying that because we're I, trying <laughs> it, it's it's important I mean security yeah. defects aren't when you look at them when you when we kind of drop the ego and look at it from a purely business perspective okay security defects in the code are they any different from a business perspective to say a critical uh, functional defect well if the application doesn't work if you can't complete a transaction, is it any better or, or is it any less ugly or more ugly than a SQL injection hole? Well, sure, somebody can steal your entire database of credit cards, but if the application doesn't work and you don't store any credit cards to begin with, yeah. which you know they're they're part and parcel of the same thing. And I I know we're starting as an industry, and I think the financial vertical is starting to wake up to that a little bit faster than everybody else, which I'm totally stoked about. By the way, I'm excited, given yeah. that you know you guys have a lot of money. But uh, not that you're not that you're spending all. We have this. a lot of other people's money. We have a lot of other. Yeah, that's very true. You have you have lots of my money, um, and probably all lots of our listeners. But yeah. so I, I guess we got. A, I've got a question that somebody tweeted to me live. This is never you know we've never done this before. So I thought um, somebody tweeted: Are the number of bugs found decreasing, or do initial developers not care because the red team will handle it? That's an interesting question. Have you seen anything oh, like that's, that? Oh, that's definitely still a challenge. Still a challenge. Yeah, that's once you get to a certain level of maturity, then you can push back to the to the broader development community um, and start, you know, pressing them on the uh, on that issue of here are the number of defects we're seeing per project or per release cycle, and some of the more some of the more intense or the, or the higher density of defects are coming from a very specific area of the development team. Right. So uh, one of the things that I want, for instance, that I want to see us take advantage of is tying that back to, okay, this code is released. We use a code repository just like anybody else does. Sure. We know who checked it in. Let's actually start tracing this back to the team that checked the code in, perhaps even to the developer that checked it in. And I think what you're going towards is accountability. Really driving for accountability. Uh, yeah, it's 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 difficult to fix what you're not willing to acknowledge. You know. Oh, amen to that. And so I I do like that. I mean, I think what the reality that we're that we're hearing here is that 
while the red team does your your remediation red team as I've na- renamed it for you, <laughs> uh, while your remediation I'll take red that team, back. yeah, that might be <laughs> trademark. Uh, no, That's just kidding. Um, remediation red team, while they're going to be fixing the bugs that you find, that doesn't mean the developers can just have carte blanche excuse to completely ignore security and say, hey, somebody else will fix it later, right? So this is really a two-parter. You're you're hoping that your software security program on the front, you've got probably some good controls and and some good type of uh, uh, you know, points to make sure that tactically you inject security into the right place and strategically it, it shows up across all the points in SDL. But not that you don't trust these people to do the right thing, but then at the back end, you basically go back and verify. And when that verification fails, rather than reburdening that entire team to re, you know, go back and reset development expectations, because they're probably working on something else by now, right? Or the yes. contract's gone or they don't work there anymore or something. You've got a team that can handle the influx of, uh, of security issues. Now, the other thing I'd be concerned about is how do you handle volume? I mean, there's, there's got to be, when, when you first started this, the volume for this had to be, you know, you could probably put every application through that team, right? Do they, is it a risk-based assessment or do they just get certain apps or? Um. Uh, there is a, a product suite, I guess we could say, that they were first tasked with. Um, I think, uh, like I said, we're seeing that expand to other product suites. Sometimes it has to do with product suites that have um, already a little bit of a, a, a working relationship together. Okay. Um, so we're we're watching uh, sort of the the convergence of certain certain uh, development teams and certain products that they focus on. But over time, I expect this to come out of what we, you know, what's called the center of excellence. Right. And see that start to replicate across other areas. And so you built a COE as well. That's fantastic. This sounds like a pretty mature security program. And I know you guys are probably interviewed for many of the uh, best practices out there because I, I, I know where you work and I, I know that you guys have been interviewed for some of those programs. Um, you know, I think this is something that lots of people could probably replicate. But it seems interesting that if you can make it work within your business, not and then not get it used as a crutch, and use it as, as strategically as part of a good security program, this is something other people could maybe, maybe learn from. Uh, to wrap up, any you know any advice you'd give somebody that's thinking about doing this, listening to your podcast, listening to your talk, and and saying, hey, you know, maybe maybe I can build a, a red team internally. You know, what would they do? What would you tell them? Make sure that uh, the folks on the red team um, make sure that they have some maturity with the product, uh, and make sure that that you build a good working relationship between the developers and uh, the technical security personnel, uh, because they will they will help each other uh, significantly. Okay, uh, that's that's very critical. Uh, I, I've seen it. I've literally seen it happen where um, developers who needed to fix an issue were simply at a loss to find the best way or came up, came up with what they thought was a good way to fix it. And the security team politely, politely as you chuckle, <laughs> let them know uh, what the better path to take was. And, and in, doing, in so doing was able to avert uh, probably taking one problem and creating 10 others. Yeah. So there's there's got to be good collaboration between security and development. Hmm. 
Hmm. Uh, I'll, we'll take one more question because this is a really good one. How does secure dev, uh, how do these secure devs, as he calls them, integrate into the current spirits uh, sprints rather or dev cycle with the other developers without causing any conflict? So how do you integrate this uh, red team and in, in, into the other team into the other developers without getting them to uh, negatively conflict with each other? But maybe I could say that positive conflict would be good, right? Maybe you can get them to. Uh, I can't, to compete I can't, with each other. I can't say that there's no conflict. There are, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, a team of, you know, tens of hundreds of folks, and uh, there's there's always conflicts. There's always some folks that have ego. Of course. Um, and it, uh, I, yeah, I, I think to your point, conflict's not always bad. Yep. Uh, even stepping outside of development uh, and just dealing with uh, the security personnel both on the business side and the technical side, we have our own conflict about how we want to see the security program mature. And in the end, uh, we usually see some advances. Hopefully it's not always one step forward and two steps back. The conflict gets brought out on the table and it all gets discussed and we sometimes have to let go of what, what our little uh, pet project is or pet idea is. Yeah, So go for the greater good. Yep. So you've been a fantastic guest. I appreciate you sharing this because, like I said, I, I thought this was interesting. I hope my uh, hope my listeners find it interesting. Software security has always been a passion of mine. I always look for new and interesting guests for with some. This has definitely been a new angle on things. I've never heard of this before. So well, thank you. I'm glad to share it. Uh, it's been interesting seeing it uh, develop uh, over the past few years where I work, and glad to share some of what I've seen. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Take care. Well, that wraps up another episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, previous episodes, this topic or its guests, I encourage you to continue the conversation. Share the podcast link. Discuss with your colleagues. You can always hop on over to my blog over at hp.com forward slash go forward slash white dash rabbit. Or you know how to find me on Twitter. So until next time, my friends.